Father, thank you for your word. We invite you to speak this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're continuing in Acts. And as you can see on the screen, we're covering a huge amount of scripture this morning. Much more than I would typically try to tackle uh, in a sermon. But it's one, it's one story, it's one unit, and I, I did not feel comfortable uh, breaking it up into multiple sections. So we're going to be doing more reading uh, of the scripture than we typically do. But don't feel sorry for yourselves, because you know what they used to do uh, back in Moses' day? And in the Old Testament, they would literally read the law out loud. So the Torah, they would, they would stand and, and read the, the Old Testament uh, full books to one another. So this is nowhere close to that. Um, and you can do this. Uh, and when your mind starts to check out, you can encourage yourself in the Lord and say to yourself, I got this, stay engaged. Um, and when we're reading scripture long portions of scripture, one of my mentors often says it's like, it's like the uh, engine in an airplane where it starts to get monotonous, that sound, and so you start to doze a little bit. So I would encourage you just to stay vigilant to engage the word um, this morning. We're continuing in our series through Acts about discernment. What this, what this whole teaching series on is about how do we discern the will of God, how do we hear God's voice. And um, I believe this with all my heart, that because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he is still speaking to his people today. God still speaks. He speaks to us today, the same he has to all his children throughout the ages. Now, how we engage his voice is important. We engage it, we engage it through this. We hear God's voice through this, right? Through, through his written word. We also hear his voice through community. Um, through, through walking out our faith together. There are so many decisions that have been made in my life because a brother or sister had the courage to tell me, that's not a road you want to go down. That is a road you want to go down, right? That's the Lord speaking through, through community. He still does that today. Um, and so God's, God's voice is to be an integral part of our lives. Each of us face decisions every single day where we need to hear from God. But if our belief is that God is done speaking, then we're not going to listen for his voice, which means we're not going to hear it, we're not going to discern it, and we're going to be walking blindly um, through our life and decisions. And so this whole series is about how do we listen to God's voice? How do we discern his will? How do we hear it together? And then how do we obey and walk out? And we chose the book of Acts for this because this, these first Christians, every single day they were facing new situations that had never been faced before. Every single day they were encountering things that Christians had never encountered before because they were the very first Christians. And today we're going to see that as the church enters into the second phase of her existence. With, with the martyrdom of Stephen, which we're going to read this morning, the church goes from being this local, uh, small group of believers in Jerusalem, um, and it says that then they're spread out because of the persecution. So the, the church, um, God uses this persecution to actually send the church out and um, enter the second phase of the church. So a couple things I want you to ask yourselves as we're reading the scriptures this morning. How does Stephen respond to the difficult situation he's put in? 
All of us face difficult situations from time to time. How, how does Steven, uh, Stephen respond? Because I guarantee you, Stephen didn't wake up on this morning and think to himself, I'm going to get myself into a situation wherein I die. Great plan for the day, Stephen. Right? Th- this is not his plan for the day. <laughs> I, he, perhaps the Lord had prepared him, given him premonitions or, th- or, or uh, thoughts about the future, but it's not his plan. And even, I, I don't, think that even when Stephen begins his speech, that he knows what's going to happen. And so how does Stephen respond in real time, in the moment, as things are happening to him? How How does he respond? How would you respond if you were in Stephen's position? So if you, what's that? Run, run, says Jason, run, right? There's some honesty in that. How would you respond if you were put in a similar situation? What, what characteristics does Stephen have as a disciple and a follower of Christ? And why does God allow this situation to happen? And this, is, this, this why question is the key question whenever there's significant suffering. There's all these Christian cliches that people say to one another when someone's sick, like, oh, it's God's will, or just silly stuff like that that are so unhelpful. Um, and one of the things I appreciate about Stephen in the, in the stories is he's just himself. He's real. He's, he's vulnerable. And so the, the why questions when it comes to suffering or persecution, sickness, illness, death, um, loss of, of life, loss of friendship, loss of relationship, the why question is the most, the most significant question in our spirit. Why, God, why is this happening? And if you grew up in a tradition of the church that discouraged you from asking God why, I would encourage you um, to go back to God and ask him the why question, because he actually desires that from his children. Just like I desire my children, you know, when I discipline them, I want them to ask why, because that's the whole point, <laughs> right? When they're, going, when they're growing, when they're going through that, I want them to ask me why. In the same way, our, our, our Heavenly Father desires us to ask him those most difficult why questions. We might not get a clear answer. We might not have full understanding, but it's important to ask him why and, and to have those conversations with him. Does that make sense with me? So, so why does God allow this situation to happen to Stephen? All right, with that, we'll jump in to Acts chapter 6. And this is uh, what Dave Willauer covered last week, but I felt like it was important to include this. So it says in Acts chapter 6, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers. That's, that's the Hellenists complained about the Hebrews, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Or as Dave explained, passing out, passing out uh, essentially community welfare. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we, apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And so we see here... Um, in Acts chapter 6, the office of deacons is uh, established for the first time, and deacons are to be people who are filled with the Spirit and the Word of God and who serve the community of God out of an overflow of His fullness in them. 
everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicord, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. And as uh, Brother Dave pointed out last week, all seven of these were Hellenists. All seven of these men were Greek-speaking Jews. So this was an extremely loving choice by the Hebrew church, by the church that, that spoke Hebrew, because they they, uh, the Greek-speaking church had felt like they were discriminated against. They brought their complaint. And so the church chose seven Greek-speaking Jews to then make sure that this problem was taken care of. Very loving, very loving thing to do. Verse 7, so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Stephen, this is where we pick up new scripture for us. Stephen a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So Stephen Uh, as he was described earlier, is a man who's full of the Spirit of God, and he's performing miracles. And these men, which this is an interesting name, from the synagogue of freed slaves, start to challenge him. So Stephen was a Hellenist, which means he was a Greek-speaking Jew that did not grow up in Israel. He would have grown up in the diaspora somewhere else. And he's come, and he's become a Christian, and now he's one of the first deacons and one of the first leaders of the church. And these other Greek-speaking Jews, who are not Christians, but they're also Hellenists from this synagogue, uh, begin to challenge him. But Stephen, um, they can't refute anything that Stephen says, and so they're getting angry about this. One interesting thing here, and this is just a little rabbit trail, the city Alexandria, if you know your church history— becomes the most important city um, for Christians in about 150 years later. And if it were not for the Christians that came out of Alexandria in Egypt, um, it's doubtful that Christianity would have survived um, because of the amount of persecution that was coming to them. So it's, it's interesting. This is one of two places that Alexandria is listed in the New Testament. All right, verse 11. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. They can't refute him with their wisdom, so they gather false witnesses. And if you know your Old Testament, you know this is one of the, one of the worst laws to break, bearing false witness. Over and over again throughout the Torah and throughout the Old Testament, we are told, do not bear a false witness. And yet these people who are saying Stephen is a heretic go and intentionally break the law and gather people to bear false witness, to lie about Stephen saying, we've heard him blasphemy Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All of this is baloney. Stephen hasn't said any of this in this way. This is a false witness. So they've taken a piece of what Stephen has said and they're twisting it. 
Verse 15, at this point, everyone in the high council, that's the Sanhedrin, this is the same council that Peter and John stood before a few chapters ago, and all the apostles two chapters ago. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. Now, if I was holding a meeting, and there was someone being accused of something, and they began to radiate like they were at Chernobyl, right? They began to look like an angel. I think I might stop the meeting. I don't know about you. And figure out what is going on here. They all stare at Stephen. His face begins to look like the face of an angel. And they just barrel ahead. Now this whole series that we're going through is about discernment. Which means when God speaks, you stop and listen. When God shows up, You stop going the way you're going and you pause to reflect and receive. I don't know about you, but from time to time, when I'm in the midst of a conversation or I'm going down a certain path, I get a check in my spirit. You know what that feels like? When you get like a ping in your conscience, like don't say that, don't look at that, don't think that, you get like a check in your spirit. If you get that check in your spirit, you better stop and pray rather than barreling on through, because chances are the Lord's warning you, don't go down that road. This is going to hurt that person, or, or whatever it is. So there's this major check here. It should be a check, and yet they, they barrel on. Then the high priest asks Stephen, not what's going on, why are you glowing? He says to him, are these f- accusations true, these false accusations? This was Stephen's reply. Now Stephen is about to give the longest sermon that is recorded in all of Acts. So the speech we're about to read is the, is the longest speech that's recorded in Acts. And there's a reason why Luke included it. And it's going to be a sweeping history of the people of Israel, starting with Abraham, going through Moses, and up until the time of the temple. This is not a martyr speech. Again, Stephen wasn't planning on dying today. He's just talking about, he's just talking about God. In the moment, it's not like he sat down and wrote a sermon, right? He's put on the spot, in the spur of the moment, and this is what the Holy Spirit gave him. Verse 2, this was Stephen's reply. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham left the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran until his father died. Then God brought him here to the land where you now live. All right, so far so good. Every God-fearing Jew is on the same page with Stephen. But God gave him no inheritance here, not even one square foot of land. God did promise, however, that eventually the whole land would belong to Abraham and his descendants, even though he had no children yet. God also told him that his descendants would live in a foreign land where they would be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaved them, God said, and in the end they will come out and worship me here in this place. All right, is any Jew going to have a problem with this so far? Now, no, it's clearly, clearly orthodox faith. Verse 8, God also gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision at that time. So when Abraham became the father of Isaac, he circumcised him on the eighth day, and the practice was continued when Isaac became the father of Jacob, and when Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs of the Israelite nation. Stephen's whole point is this. This is how the story begins. God called a man who had a family, 
And God started a covenant with this man, and the covenant was initiated through circumcision, and it's carried out from generation to generation. Verse 9, these patriarchs were jealous of their brother Joseph. So he's skipping ahead now. They sold him to be a slave in Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. And God gave him favor before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God also gave Joseph unusual wisdom so that Pharaoh appointed him governor over all of Egypt and put him in charge of the palace. You all remember this story, right? Where Joseph is sold into slavery and then God raises him up to lead Egypt. But a famine came upon Egypt and Canaan. There was great misery and our ancestors ran out of food. Jacob heard that there was still grain in Egypt. So he sent his sons, our ancestors, to buy some. The second time they went, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers and they were introduced to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent for his father, Jacob, and all his relatives to come to Egypt, 75 persons in all. So Jacob went to Egypt. He died there as did our ancestors. Their bodies were taken to Shechem and buried in the tomb Abraham had bought for a certain price from Hamor's sons in Shechem. Again, so far so good. Verse 17, as the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This king exploited our people and oppressed them forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. You all know this story, right? This is the beginning of Exodus. Verse 20, at that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him at home for three months when they had to abandon him. I, just take that into account for me. I have a three-month-old. When, when his parents had to abandon him. This is a real story with real people with real emotions. Don't just read this as if it's something that is a fairy tale. It's a real story with real people. They went through real things. This baby was abandoned at the age of my three-month-old, Asher. When, When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. One day when Moses was 40 years old, He decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day, when he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting, he tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you ruler and judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. There his two sons were born. Forty years later, in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, He was amazed at the sight, and he went to take a closer look. The voice of the Lord called out to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses shook with terror and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. 
I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Now go, for I am sending you back to Egypt. So God sent back the same man his people had previously rejected when they demanded, who made you ruler and judge over us? Though the, through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs, he led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. Moses was with our ancestor, the assembly of God's people in the wilderness, when the angel spoke to him at Mount Sinai, and there Moses received life-giving words to pass on to us. This is why people asked Jesus, are you the prophet who is to come? Because Moses had said there's going to be a prophet that God raises up like me. Verse 39, but our ancestors refused to listen to Moses. They rejected him and wanted to return to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and celebrated over this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven as their gods. Again, every God-fearing Jew would be in agreement with Stephen through all of this. In the book of the prophets, now here's the turning point. This is when Stephen's going to get in trouble with them. In the book of the prophets, it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices and offerings during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech. Molech is the one who demanded child sacrifice. So when, when the Israelites uh, sacrificed their own children, uh, to the false god, this would have been to Molech. No, you carried your pagan gods, the shrine of Molech, the star of your god, Rephon, the images you made to worship them, so I will send you into exile as far away as Babylon. Our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors into battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that, asked the Lord? Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? And this is where it's really going to turn. You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. He probably wasn't done. He probably had more to say, but he's going to be interrupted now. 
based on this last thing that he said. And the thing that made them so angry is he said, <laughs> essentially, more or less, uh, your temple, your building doesn't matter because that's not where God dwells. We still are tempted by the same thing today to think that this kind of stuff is what matters. The 501c3 of the church, the institution, the programs. Church, that, that, is, not, <laughs> that is not where the presence of God is, is housed. The presence of God is housed in his people, in you, in me, in us together. And God, I mean, God, don't hear me say that this is bad. I mean, God has blessed our local church with this building, and we should steward it and take care of it. And we have trustees who do an amazing job, and that's good, and we need to be faithful to that. But I've used this illustration before. God forbid if a tornado would come through and knock this building over, the church is just fine, right? The people of God are going to be just fine because God's presence dwells in his people, not in a building, not in a building. And for whatever reason, I mean, for the Jewish people, there had, there had grown this, the, the very temple, this thing that was supposed to represent the manifest presence of God had become an idol for them. And this is why Jesus says this thing is going to be torn down. And in AD 70, of course, it was. It was destroyed, and it hasn't been rebuilt. But this makes the, the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, so angry. Verse 54, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. The, the literal wording of the Greek is they ground their teeth. So they're like gnashing their teeth. They're so angry. So while Stephen looks like an angel, <laughs> and even in the midst of this impassioned speech, is as calm and steady as she goes, as the Jewish leaders are hearing this, they're grinding their teeth and clenching their fists out of control. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told him, look, I see that heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. What's so interesting to me about this imagery is we know that after Jesus ascended into heaven, after the resurrection, he ascended to heaven, it says he sat at the right hand of God because it's finished. And here, as Stephen is going through this, Christ stands from that place of rest to welcome his son. That's so beautiful, is it not? He stands from, the, even though it's still finished, even though he's still victorious, even though he's still risen, all power and authority is still his, he, he stands from that place to welcome a human, a child, Stephen, into his arms. And with that same passion that the Lord feels towards Stephen, he feels towards you and me as his children. He feels that same love towards you that same anxiousness to stand, like, like the father of the prodigal son who didn't sit and wait for his son to get home. He stood and ran. Even though 
He was complete. He, was, he had his house in order. He stood to run. In the same way, Jesus stands to embrace his son. So beautiful, the imagery. Verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears. They're like, it's like a two-year-old. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. I can't hear you. Nah, 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 nah. Right? That's the image. They're grinding their teeth. They're their fists are clenched in rage. And as Stephen is, is preaching that it's not about the temple. It's about opening your ears to hear the Holy Spirit. They, they, they physically plug their ears and start shouting. So this thing is descending into mass chaos at this point. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin. They put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And here's our introduction to one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. Because Saul, of course, becomes the Apostle Paul. And this is the first time we hear about him. And the first time we hear about Paul He's this young man named Saul watching Stephen killed and delighting in it, happy about it, approving it, cheering it on. This should tell you something about God's redemptive work. Amen. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died very similar to what Christ prayed. Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done. Stephen, who's, who witnessed all of that with the Lord as one of the first Christians down, dying, says the words of his, own, his Savior, don't charge this to them. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And this begins the second season, the second chapter of, of the church. It says that all of the believers were scattered except the apostles. And so now the gospel begins to go to Judea and Samaria. Now, if you remember one of the last things that Jesus said, he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the word martyr comes from the word witness. And it's, it's fascinating to me that the first martyr initiates that process of being witnesses. Um, to, there's a famous phrase that says uh, the, the, the church was built on the blood of the martyrs. Have you heard that? Uh, or the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So persecution is actually what's caused the church to grow and spread. And brothers and sisters, today as we sit in Parker Ford Church in East Coventry, Pennsylvania, in 2018, we are here because those believers were scattered. That's why we're here today. That's why you and I have faith. That's why we received Christ, because the Holy Spirit sent them out. And that was passed on from generation to generation. And we are recipients of what started that day with Stephen, when the church was was spread out uh, across the earth. I have so much more I want to say about this story for another day. 
what I'll close with is this, something I've talked about before. Praise team, you can come up. We're going we're gonna to close our time with singing. Um, but this, this is what I shared uh, when I was talking about the apostles when they were beaten in chapter 5. It says they rejoiced because they counted themselves, that Jesus counted them worthy to suffer for him, his sake. This is Acts 5, verse 41. It says the apostles left the high council, the same high council that just killed Stephen, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. And this, of course, comes from the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, God blesses those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for, for, for righteousness' sake. And what that word blesses means and I've said this before, it means that you're in a good spot. It doesn't mean you get a car. <laughs> this is a, American culture equates blessing with stuff. Blessing does not equal stuff. Church, here, I can't overstay this enough. Blessing does not equal stuff. Blessing equals the manifest presence of God. So Jesus says, you're in a very good place. You are, you're in the right place. Your heart, your mind, your soul, you are in right standing with God and man when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for they persecuted the prophets in the same way. No matter what you're going through, church, or what I'm going through, we, we can see from the story of Stephen that God works even in the midst of suffering. So you may be ill, you may be sick, you may be in a hard relationship, uh, you, you might not know what to do in whatever situation you're in, but God works in these places of tension. He spreads, he spreads his gospel in these places of tension. And so like Stephen, I would just encourage each of us today to gaze into the eyes and the, the face of our Lord and Savior and, and to listen to his voice and whatever he has for you, to receive it with grace and receive it open-handed, knowing that what the Lord has for you is good because you're his child and he loves you. Would you join me in prayer? Let's just ask God to seal this this morning. Father, we just, covered, we just covered the history of the people of Israel from Abraham to Joseph to Moses uh, to the time of the building of the temple and, and then to the time of the early church and Stephen right after Christ had ascended a few months before. We, we just covered thousands of years of history in, in a half hour. And that was a lot, God. But we want to be people like Stephen who know your, your word and your story so well that when we're put in the spur of the moment, we can recite the ways of God because we've hidden your word in our heart. We've hidden your voice inside us. We've chosen to be a people who listen, who have ears to hear and eyes to see. So I pray for each person in this room this morning, God, each person in this sanctuary, that each of us would have ears to hear your word, God, and eyes to see what you're doing, that we would have hearts that are not stone and dead hearts, but we would have hearts of flesh that can receive from you. God, thank you for Stephen. Thank you for this man who got, who, whose life was snuffed out at a young age, who, who knows what he would have become, who knows where he would have gone, if he, if he had a family and children, who knows if he would have been one of those believers who took the gospel to the ends of the earth and yet his life was cut so short and stolen and, and, and yet he rejoiced because his life was hidden, not in the hope of men, but hidden in you, God. 
Thank you for using this painful situation to bring the gospel throughout the earth, even to us today. God, we thank you for his story, and we, we pray that in the same way he stood courageously before the council, before those who were accusing him, God, that we as your children would stand courageously no matter what situation we're in and faithfully with you. We pray this in your name, God. Amen. Let's stand and close our time of worship this morning singing together.